Today we're going to talk about the pogs of TBF. We're going to look at the game plan for 2019. But before we read this one seminal verse, let me put it in context. Acts 2.42 is describing events that happened 10 days after the ascension of Christ. The death of Christ, three days later, the resurrection, 40 days later, the ascension. 10 days after that, the church starts in Jerusalem. And the very first local church of all time, after the apostles in Jerusalem had preached the gospel, Peter was the mouthpiece, and 3,000 people, 53 days after the crucifixion in Jerusalem, embraced Jesus as Savior. And so you've got the 12 apostles. I know Judas left, but we got Matthias to take his place. We've got the 12 apostles in Jerusalem two months after the death and resurrection of Christ with 3,000 brand-new believers. And the question is, Julie Miller, what they do with them? They didn't have a church building. They didn't have a rock and roll band. They didn't have smoke and mirrors. They didn't have a high-powered, charismatic uh, pulpit minister like me. All I had was Peter, James, and John. What did they do? Well, here's what they did. Here's what they did. They were continually devoting themselves. It wasn't like a casual thing. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. We call that Bible teaching. And to fellowship. Koinonia, fellowship, means a sharing. And fellowship is interaction between believers that's mutually edifying, that builds you up. Uh, to the breaking of bread. Breaking of bread is sharing meals. The breaking of bread is the Lord's Supper, the highest form of worship in the New Testament church. And to prayer, and all the English, ash, Amber, all the ash, all the uh I said, Amber, all the Ashley, you know, Amber, all the, uh, um, um, I was going to say, I know, all the English translations of this have prayer, plural, I guess they think it's a collective plural, but it's actually plural in the Greek, prayers, communicates better to me, because this wasn't everybody getting together and watching Peter have a uh, pastoral prayer, they're all praying, that sounds kind of like sharing time, where they're getting together, sharing their needs, and praying on the spot. So they're making sure four things happen. Bible study, fellowship, worship, um, and uh, the one I left off. But I was reared Southern Baptist, and I was told my basic job was to go out and drag people to church so the preacher could tell them how to get saved. It doesn't say anything about evangelism here. It says Bible teaching, fellowship, worship, and prayer. But look what happens. Drop down to verse 47. These 3,000 brand new believers in Jerusalem two months after the death and resurrection of Christ, it's dangerous to be a Christian here. We're praising God, and not just at church on Sunday meetings, but having favor with everybody. They're tax-paying, polite, hardworking, honest citizens. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Because Dustin's come to church, and he's getting Bible study, fellowship, worship, and prayer. And then he lives a dynamic, credible Christian life in the real world, and it rubs off on other people. And they're, what's different with you? Kind of thing. That's the game plan, right? So today we're going to look at the POGs of TBF. Whoops, let's go there again. POG is an acronym for purpose, one purpose. Objectives, two basic objectives. When the church is gathered, when the church is scattered, which is most of the time, because we only have a couple major services every week. And then G stands for goals. They're really functions. And you'll notice we're getting that from Acts 2.42. That's the way the apostles did church from the very get-go. Now, all of this is consistent with our mission statement, which you'll find on the front of the bulletin every week. And notice the, the stated, concerted mission of our church is to glorify God, not Pastor Brad, by actively participating in the ongoing fulfillment of the Great Commission, which is all about making and being disciples, as a body of believers who do things we can't do in our living room or in our home church or in our own personal prayer closet, as a body of believers who collectively and individually serve our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and one another as a spiritual greenhouse such that by our interactions together we're catalyzed to grow and to reproduce spiritually. So uh, for those of you who have, have never heard me do the pogs of TBF, I'm very happy you're here because I think it'll give you a good feeling, a uh, good feel for what we're about. And and most 
good churches would not object to very much what I'm saying here. They would say, yeah, that's basically our, our purpose, objectives, and goals in so many ways. But I feel like, you know, one of my jobs is to be a good example and kind of cast a vision or a big picture, a meta-narrative, they call it now, so you can see it where you plug in. And so I think as we do this every year, uh, we kind of see who we are, what we do, and why we do it as a group. And obviously I'm hoping that each one of us will do do more, do better this year. That's always the objective. Dr. Paul Calloway, uh, the first couple times he heard me do this, said, that's your do more, do better message, isn't it? I said, yeah, that's basically what, what it is, you know. But uh, the unexamined life is not worth living, right, Sue? The unexamined church involvement is not worth doing. So we want you to think about what we're trying to do. And it, uh, I'm very thankful God led me here 30 long years ago. When I got the phone call to come talk to you all about coming here, uh, Bill Dickinson hey, said, hey, this is uh, Bill Dickinson in Duncan, Oklahoma. I said, slow down. I've heard of Oklahoma. Where's Duncan? <laughs> and then you, know, you come here and 10 years in, you know, the Kiwanis Club asks you to speak about the Middle East and you go over there and they'll say, we'd like to introduce the new pastor at Tanglewood Bible Fellowship. I mean, I've been here 10 years. Uh, after about 15, they stopped calling me the new guy. I guess they thought you were going to run me off or something, but, and, uh, it got to be, after I've been here a long time and people still call me the new pastor, I just say, hey, I wasn't born here, but I got here as soon as I could. And I thought that was a pretty good response to that. Let's pray we'll be teachable to the truth of this morning's uh, message and pray for those who protect us like our firefighters and our peace officers and our active military. And uh, i tell you what, uh, Joe, would you pray for us in that direction? Amen. Thank you. Uh, this is an oldie but a, a goodie, and Homer really likes it. Of course, he likes all of them, but uh, because it's football season, we're ramping up with the tournament in the NFL. Uh, operator error. Five football terms that have special meanings at TBF. Illegal motion. When TBFers get mad and go home right after the call to worship. <laughs> That's illegal motion. Don't do that. Interference. When a TBFer breaks in the line to get a donut. <laughs> you can get hurt doing that. I'm just telling you. End around. This is my personal favorite one. What TBF nursery workers do in the process of changing dirty diapers. <laughs> See, end around. The two-minute warning. When the TBF elder board, I mean all of them, frown at Pastor Brad after first hour teaching time has gone more than an hour. <laughs> that is the two-minute warning. Extra point. Extra point is what Pastor B often crams into the end of his first hour messages, even after he receives the two-minute warning. <laughs> yeah, somebody, uh, somebody once said there are three kinds of people in every church, some who, uh, Watch things happen, some who make things happen, everybody else who wonders what's happening. So we have the solution to that problem here. This is what's happening. This is the target. This is the game plan. We only run one play here. This is it. This is the meta-narrative. Um, here's our pogs. we got a purpose to try by God's grace to glorify Him. Uh, when we are gathered, we want to edify each other, Bible study, fellowship, worship, and prayer, so that when we're scattered... We can not just be uh, smarter about the Bible, but actually infiltrate the culture and do evangelism, lifestyle evangelism, have enough credible uh, witness and connections with people. We can actually share who our Lord and Savior is. And we're going to do that by focusing on five functions, five goals, Bible study, fellowship, worship, prayer, and world mission slash evangelism, right? So here's my premise for this message. And you, if you love the Lord, you gotta love the local church because it's His idea. And I, I tell you what, I'm in love with this church. I love this church. Not because it's perfect, not because I haven't had opportunities to do some other things, but I just have fallen in love with this church. And uh, that doesn't mean everything I say is good or right or sensitive or kind or wise or worth to listening to. But, uh, you know, I've got my flaws, but it's not a lack of, of love for TBF. What it is committed to what it tries to be, even when it disappoints people and disappoints me, you still got to love it. It's just like marriage or raising kids, right? So for us, 
Love in the local church hopefully means TBF. Now, this is a church, not a cult. You can leave anytime you want to. We're not going to make you stay. We're not even going to make you show up. We're not going to use a bunch of psychological gimmicks to try to jump, get you to jump through hoops or do religious things for us so we can be impressed with how great we are. But um, under the principle of voluntary association, we want you to come because you want to be here, uh, being teachable to God's word. We spend... Uh, Almost an hour once a, a week having all of us who are adults or close to adults under the word of God. I don't think that's too much to ask at 162 hours a week, but I know that's a, that's a big ask nowadays. But here's our concept of ministry, and most churches won't tell you this. A lot of pastors believe this, probably most of them do, but their boards wouldn't let them say it. And some of the pastors don't really believe this. But TBF is a good church. First Baptist Church is a good church. First Baptist Marlowe. Um, uh, fill in the blank. Bethel, ba- uh, Bethel Baptist, Bethel uh, Assembly of God Church. They're all good ch- churches, and we're a good church, but we're not the only good church in town. There are a lot of good churches in town. You ever heard somebody, a pastor, tell you that from the pulpit? Uh, some of them get fired. I mean, really, real quick, if they said that, even though most people know that. But I would say TBF is special, of course. You know, hey, Dustin, you know, you're special. I mean, you're really special. But so is everybody else in the room, man, so get over it, okay? Uh, that's one of my old lines. TBF is a church with a 42-and-a-half-year track record uh, of consistent, significant biblical ministry. I mean, we've been to China on mission trips, north of North Korea, right, Homer? And Homer was brave enough to get on a train and go from Harbin, where the home base was, to go to a place called Jamasu. Of course, a few of us, like Carl and I, were brave enough to get on a different train, go to Chichihar, and we didn't have a translator like Homer did. So try to do that. So try to say that three times fast, right? Um, now, we read the mission statement. We've talked about the pogs, and we're going to look at those in more detail in a minute. But here's a short description, and I do think because... Um, we're not Presbyterian, we're not Baptist, we're not Methodist. A lot of people, they may be believers, may be unbelievers don't know what a Tanglewood Bible Fellowship is. If it said Tanglewood Baptist Fellowship or Presbyterian Fellowship, they say, okay, that's a conventional thing. I, I think I kind of know what that is. So I think you need to be able to really succinctly describe to people what we are, what we is kind of thing. I would say TBF is a group of Christian believers. Let's get Christ in there real quick. A group of Christian believers from a wide variety of denominational backgrounds united by our faith in Jesus Christ, and and that's really what holds us together, and a desire to grow and reproduce spiritually by a focus on certain basics that sometimes get shoved to the periphery in certain certain church contexts. But we want to focus on and make sure we're touching these five bases all the time consistently. Bible study, fellowship, worship, prayer, evangelism, world missions. Where do I get that? That's Acts 2.42. That's the way the apostles did it. Now, this is what God's worldwide church looks like of every color, country, and culture. It's also what TBF looks like. Now, most churches don't look like this. If you're a, if you're a Northern Baptist church, you look like that over right there. If you're a Southern Baptist church, you look like that. And they define a lot of things more specifically than we do, and they've got every right to do that, and that's a good way to do church, and the vast majority of Christians for 2,000 years pretty quickly started doing that. They kind of get in their clumps. But ultimately, God looks at his church in Duncan or all over the world, and it doesn't matter what color, country, denomination, generation you are, as long as you're born again through faith alone in Christ alone, you're part of his capital C church, and to the extent you plug into one of those or more denomination, different ones, uh, that's kind of what you look like. I apologize for that being so small, only because I've got to do it to fit it into the, all the graphic, but the core is the death and the resurrection of Christ receiving him as Savior, now following him as Lord. And it doesn't matter whether you're an Assembly of God believer and you go to Bethel or a Methodist believer, a born-again believer who goes to First United Methodist Church or a Southern Baptist or another Northern Baptist or a Church of the Nazarene or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a Tanglewood Bible Fellowship Christian or any other kind of Christian. That's the way God sees his capital C church. And we're a small picture of that here. And that doesn't, that, it, that's, it's harder to do that, really, than just to, uh, if they wanted me to write a 120 page doctoral statement, Dennis, I could do that. I would love to do that. You know, we could nail down every little thing, and it's like, you know, our way or the highway, and that's one way you can do church. Yeah? Some churches tell you which translation you use. 
And they probably won't come to your house and take away any others you might have in your house, but they just say, when we're here, we're going to do this one. Okay? We don't do that. Would it be simpler if we all had the same translation? Yeah, it would be a lot simpler. But if Steve's going to read NIV and somebody's going to read the message, I'd rather read the message, even though I'm not crazy about paraphrases for in-depth Bible study, than me forcing you to use the King James or whatever, New American Standard is my personal favorite. So you got to appreciate what we're trying to do here, even though under my leadership it's not always done, been done perfectly. And Howard Hendricks used to tell us at Dallas Seminary, and he was talking to us looking for a church to pastor, but I always apply this to the lay people. You know, uh, don't look for the perfect church. Number one, because it doesn't exist. And number two, if you found it tough, you'd ruin it. You know? And he's saying that to us, not to you, right? And I think that's good. Now, we go through periods where God lets us bump up a little bit, and then he grabs people, and they go to Oklahoma City, and they go to Dallas, and they go to Tulsa, and they go... Uh, I mean, David Dudley is in Japan working right now. So, you know, we go through that. And sometimes people will say, well, golly, you know, how am I going to find a church like this one? And I would say, you're not. Not that we're better than everybody else. We're kind of unique, you know, and just this, you get used to the size, you get used to the intimacy, and you visit one of 5,000, it blows your mind. But it may be the right place for you in Tulsa. But I would say, look, just find the best church you can and then make it better. And don't constantly compare our strengths with their weaknesses, but you will be pleasantly surprised to find that some things we don't do very well, your new church probably does better. So enjoy that. You can appreciate that. But what's the thing that ultimately unites us? Uh, it's, it's not um, anything but the person and work of Jesus Christ summarized in what Martin, Martin Luther, Martin Luther called the gospel in a verse. For God the Father, the author of the plan of salvation, loved the world. What do you know about the world in, in the Gospel of John? It's the dark place of lost people, right? Uh, it's a theological term, not a astronomy term. God the Father loved the world so much he gave his only begotten Son. The Son is the active agent of the plan of salvation, second person of Trinity. That whosoever, and a tough, watch this, in the original Greek it doesn't say whosoever. It, it's uh, an articular present active participle. It says that all of the ones who believe, I mean, whosoever is good, right, Angel? But all of the ones who believe, that's better. That's what it means. That all the ones who believe and the Son who does the work of redemption for us will not perish. That doesn't mean you won't die physically because short of the rapture, you're going to die physically. Mama Joe used to say, there's no way you get out of this old world alive unless the rapture happens. But uh, the parish in John 3.16 is lake of fire. It's the second death. You're not, and it says, will never not perish in the Greek. Double negatives in English is bad English. In Greek, it's emphatic negation. There ain't no way you're going to lose this. Okay? But has everlasting life. Not bios, but zoe. Now, on what basis are we reconciled to God? Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I claim because Christ died for our sins. We don't have to die in our sins, but he's not dead anymore. And that's always our invitation. We don't have altar calls, but we always share the gospel. And the gospel is God's offer of salvation, providing eternal life. I took that picture, and I took that picture on the Mount of Olives, looking west at the Temple Mount. And you'll see the Dome of the Rock there. In a little church called the Church of the Teardrop. And in four months, a bunch of us will be there. And I always like that wrought iron cross superimposed onto the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim uh, commemorative building where they celebrate their victory over Judaism and Christianity. The battle ain't over yet. They don't win in the end. Don't tell anybody. Which, of course, means tell as many people as you can. So, yeah. You got It's not what I say, it's what I mean by what I say, the way I say it, in context, just like the Bible. Just like your wife, right? <laughs> you gotta love that. And so, you know, if you get a chance to share the gospel with somebody and say, oh man, I wish James were here. I know he knows how to do this. I wish Brad were here. I wish Jean was here. She shares all the time. Just run them through John 3.16. Fill the blank. You know, God couldn't love you anymore. God couldn't give any more for you. God t- calls you to believe. What's believe? Active receptive trust. Personal receptive trust, right? In the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay, here are the pogs. Purpose, objectives, goals. The purpose goes back to the Great Commission of Matthew 28. The two objectives are described in Ephesians 4. And then the five 
4 slash 5 functions are x242 dot 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 x247, right? So what's our overall purpose? Uh, look at Matthew 28. Some, some years we really analyze these three passages. I'm, I'm not going to do that today. I want, I want to go in a slightly different direction. But, um, well, this is one of the first verses I heard growing up in a Southern Baptist, uh, situation. And I got a lot out of this, this Southern Baptist association I had. Like, I heard the gospel and got saved. So what's that's worth for you? But, uh, we talked about this all the time. And you got all, you know, participles are verbal adjectives, so they're verbals, but they define the major verbal statement. So you got all these verbals going on. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing and teaching and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And what's going on here? Well, there's only one command in the Great Commission. And verse 19 and 20 is one sentence. It's just one sentence. And the command is make disciples. And under that, you have, that's the command. That's the imperative. Disciples are believers who are abiding in Christ and bearing fruit. Okay, Make disciples, and then he has three participles, verbal adjectives telling you how you make disciples. This is Jesus telling you how you make a disciple. Okay, And when you got to go, go with what? Go with the gospel, right? So they hear and believe. By baptizing. Does baptism save? Heck no. Does putting this ring on make you married to me? Or to Debbie? Or to anybody? No. It's just a symbol, but it's an important symbol. I put my faith that Jesus on the cross died for my sins. He was buried and rose again, and I've received him as my Savior. And now I want to follow him as my Lord. That's what you're saying when you get baptized. You're identifying with him and his capital C church when you get water baptized. Go with the gospel, baptize, get believers to publicly identify with the program, and then by teaching. Is that the only thing the church does? That's the one thing he says standing for all the things the church does, but that's the first thing he says. We do that once a week for everybody above sixth grade, and I think we probably ought to do that together. I think that ought to be a commitment. If your kids don't understand it, take it home, and at lunch, go over it with them. Say, I give you handouts every week, you know? Nobody gives me those handouts. I crank those out. Sit down over the lunch table or the dinner table, unplug the video game. Well, we're going to miss a football game. You can record it. Plus, you'll miss the commercials. Listen, you know what? I've got so much joy out of football since I realized I don't have to watch it live. I get an hour and a half behind with OSU games, and I just start watching it. I don't get any inputs. So I don't know, you know how much, how far behind we are. And I just buzz through all those commercials. And you catch up with the live feed, you know, by the middle of the third quarter anyway. But this is, this is your job, okay? James doesn't expect, uh, that what he does for your teenagers is all they're going to get. He assumes Christian parents are going to really do most of the spiritual formation at home, directly and indirectly. This is your chance to take your 6th, 7th, and 8th grader and say, okay, I know you had no idea what Pastor Brad was saying, but he's saying there's three things we're trying to do, and here's what they are. And Do you have any questions? What does that mean to you as a 6th grader or 12th grader? This is your chance to actually do your job, and I hope you'll embrace that. You know, That's really important. Uh, your most important discipleship project is your kids. And a lot of pastors' kids don't do very well. But by the grace of God and a great mother, ours did. And we did this when they didn't understand what dear old dad was talking about in the pulpit. We just would talk about it. Okay? So your job isn't over when you drive home from church. It's just, it's just starting, right? So we've got how many commands in the Great Commission? Make the side. Say, say one. <laughs> and the Lord's summarizing here. He's not trying to be comprehensive, but he's saying, hey, you got to go with the gospel so they can believe. Believers need to public public identify with me and the church and start living it out. And you're going to have to teach them from where? People Magazine? Oprah's latest book? No. You know what we're going to teach, right? So, interpretation and application. Now, I grew up in a culture uh, where uh, we were told after the altar call that if you give God uh, one-seventh of your time... And one-tenth of your money, he will bless you. And as a little elementary old age kid, I thought, that's a whale of a deal. I can do that as a believer. I mean, he gave eternal life, and now I've only got to give him one-tenth of my money, and I've got no income. So nothing out of nothing. I don't have anything I have to give there. And one-tenth of my time, that meant going to church on Sunday school, worship service, training union, Sunday night service. I loved church. I couldn't call it my mom and drive me to church at night, so I stayed home with my three younger sisters. But... 
I love church. I was, I thought that was the easiest thing ever. And I've come to realize that is not a spiritual walk, that's a spiritual limp. And if that's your entire spiritual life, whatever you do in at church, man, you're not anywhere with the program. What Jesus is calling for in discipleship for believers is not to be an accessory to your pie chart. He wants to be the axis of your pie chart. Not just on Sunday morning, Sunday nights, but Monday morning and Thursday nights and prom night too. And that time business trips too, right? So this is what discipleship is. And a lot of Christians, I think, think it's discipleship is me going to church once or twice a week if it's convenient. Uh, no. If it's this, it's getting the Lordship of Christ right in the center of your pie chart. So that's our purpose, to make disciples, to make disciples of Jesus, not disciples of Brad McCoy. You know, um, we went through an, a, a fad there uh, toward the end of my seminary time, not at Dallas, but this was an evangelicalism, where everybody was supposed to pick somebody to be their spiritual science project, and you had to disciple people and make them more like you. And I said, I don't want to do that to anybody, <laughs> especially not my kids. They're totally individual, but they love the Lord. They're plugged into church. They love church. Jamie teaches Sunday school. Uh, Jonathan does all the graphics for his Sunday school class. I can't get him to make the time to do my graphics, but he has graphics for his Sunday school class, okay? Because that's important. And I, I, that's great. I love that. You guys, go from purpose to objectives. The Ephesians, go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is talking about the dynamics of the church such that when the church is gathered, primarily on the Lord's Day, the church is being edified and built up. The believers are being edified and built up such that when, and by the proper working of indivi- every individual part, not everybody's called to teach the, do nursery work or to do uh, the Wednesday night kids ministry, but we need more help for the Wednesday night uh, uh, kids ministry. Not that the wards aren't world class, but occasionally they need a break or something or a little encouragement, you know. A junior church, you guys have done that since right after the earth's crust hardened. The uh, the Skinners evolved from under a rock and said, we will do junior church. And I beg you, never stop until I leave and until we find a suitable replacement, which will not be really possible but for you. But, uh, yeah, the Ephesians passage is, I love this passage. And this is one Dallas Seminary really, really teaches pastoral people. Uh, he gave some folks really cool gifts. We all get certain spiritual gifts, but he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some as pastor teachers. That's one designation based on the syntax. They're not pastors and teachers. He does give some people this a separate teaching gift, but pastor teachers, one gift, uh, so they can build up their careers, get a book deal, and no, it doesn't say that. For the equipping of the saints, saints refers to all the believers. It's not just a certain elite group based on certain churches based on in Rome. For the equipping of the saints, if you're a believer, um, put your name there, Kitty, you're you're one of the saints. For the work of the service, to give you a biblical basis to actually live out your Christian life and service in your church to the glory of God, to the building up of the body, until we all get the unity of faith, until he comes back, in other words. Verse 14, as a result, we're not supposed to be children. We're not supposed to be operating on a sixth grade level spiritually for all of our lives. Uh, tossed by every false teaching that's going to come down the pike, winds of doctrine. But speaking the truth in love, we're supposed to grow up into all aspects, into him, who's the head, even Christ, so that the whole body, the individual uh, local church, and ultimately the capital C church, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Homer's an individual part, and he's got strengths I don't have, and he's got capabilities that I don't have, but I got some capabilities he doesn't have. So Homer's a great leader for us, but he can't do everything. God doesn't give us one omni-gifted person, and you watch us live Christianity for you from a pulpit. He gives us all places and, and, and opportunities and abilities and gifts to contribute to the team. It's exactly like a football team. You've got 11 guys out there on both sides of the ball, and they all have different roles to play. And certainly the punter, and the wide receiver have completely different roles, right? Unless you're Dustin, he plays all those positions, right? All at the same time. That's what the amazing thing about it is. And the bottom line is the building up of the body in love. So uh, when, we, when we're um, gathered together, we want all of us to be sharing our gifts and talents to the building up of the body so we can live a credible Christian life uh, on Monday morning, Wednesday afternoon, and prom night, that kind of thing. 
Our purpose is to make disciples, as Matthew 18. Our objectives are to, when the church is scattered, let's edify one another. Let's be edified in the Lord so when we scatter, we can live salt and light, a lifestyle evangelism in the world. And then our goals are really functions of what the apostles did with the first church. Okay, So go back to where we started, Acts 2.42. This is 10 days after the ascension, Connie, two months after the death and resurrection. The apostles still have the great commission, make disciples ring in their ears. How did they interpret that? What was their praxis of that truth? Well, their praxis was they made sure the brand new baby believers were devoted to just a couple of things. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to worship, and to prayer. As a result, these people were living different kind of lives, and people were hearing about and believing in the gospel on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just on Sunday by dragging them so the um, people can hear the preacher do his thing. And that's a go ahead and drag your friends to church, okay? But God never calls the world to come to church. He calls the church to go into the world. That's what he says. So it'd probably be a good idea to try to do that, as best we can, right? So, yeah, I love this. Bible study, God speaks to us. In fellowship, we commune with other believers. Why is that in white? To remind me to go to this. Theologically, if they're over 30, you're having fellowship. If they're under 30, you're hanging out. Koinonia is the original Greek term for fellowship. It means an overlap, okay? That's the thing. It means a sharing uh, fellowship is interaction between believers that's mutually edifying. Uh, you getting your nose out of joint because we sang five songs instead of four, and you telling James what a jerk he is because he didn't sing the right number of songs, that's not necessarily fellowship. That's admonition and probably inappropriate in that case. right? Uh, the only thing worse would be if you call five of your friends with a prayer request. We didn't sing the right number of songs. James doesn't care. I don't think he's led by the Spirit because we all... You know, I, I, he's he's led by the Spirit with these songs because he's never tried to do six 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 numbers of songs. Have you, you never tried that, James? Now, if he ever does six hundred sixty six, he's out of here. But <laughs> other than that, no, we're going to hang in with him, right? So, why in the heck do we emphasize Bible exposition? Because we all know it doesn't draw a crowd. Millennials don't like it. Some of them do. You do the right thing. Uh, we're not going to become a fast food McDonald's version of uh, Americanized Christianity. We'd rather kind of do it the old fashioned way. If you don't mind, right? But watch this. There's the evangelism. It's not in verse 42. It's a result of believers growing because of a positive church environment that stimulates spiritual growth. Now, this is uh, Anthony Foreman's redo of my simplified schematic. But when I showed Bill Dickinson, who was like George Washington of TBF, my simplified, not nearly as nice looking as this, but the same content, he said, that's exactly what we were thinking about when we started this. And I said, yeah, that's why I'm here. You know, I want to, I want to plug into that. Uh, one purpose, make disciples of Jesus. When we're scattered, let's edify. When we are, are, when we're gathered, let's edify. When we're scattered, let's live a consistent Christian life. Uh, as Carla reminds me, share the gospel everywhere, use words when necessary and prudent, right? You're always living it, okay? Spiritual greenhouse, spiritual growth, spiritual reduction, like that. And then we're going to focus on those functions, right? So realizing that when we're gathered, we want to focus on uh, that kind of stuff. So at this point, we have a word from our sponsor. So anyway, you know, we list some things all the time, every week on this thing. I think eventually nobody even sees them, and I get the way that, that works. But our spiritual engine is not you just showing up doing religious things. It's you abiding in Christ and living that as a lifestyle. So, of course, you want to be here, and of course, you want to contribute. If you want to see how that looks, look at the wards. They're good examples. But our most important outreach, which is what that was talking about, I've knocked on doors. I've put stuff on houses. We took cookies. We did all kinds of stuff, you know. And um, I think the best way, and the reason I put in back of the bulletin every week, so I actually believe it, our most important outreach is kind of what that just said to us. It's not just the religious leaders, because some people, the average American man is scared spiritless of a preacher, you know, because we're like spiritual life insurance salesmen, and they, they just are afraid we're going to just, you know, bug them, all right? They'd rather hear it from, from Dustin than from me in most cases. There are a few exceptions. But our most important outreach is inviting others we know to visit TBF. If they're happy in, a, in another church, don't bother them. I don't want you to pull them out of there because we're so much better than they are. 
We're, we're no, we're not necessarily better than them at all for them. Don't, and somebody's happy in their good church, just leave them alone. God pray for them. But people who are either believers who are gotten out of the habit, which can happen, or, you know, um, unbelievers, bring them here. You know, you'd be amazed what happens. But inviting others we know that you have some credibility with, some overlap with, um, and sharing the gospel with folks. So keep your antenna up. Uh, Christmas season's a good time. Easter season's a good time, especially to invite friends, neighbors, family. But anytime's good. Uh, weather permitting, we have services here every Sunday. The weather's bad. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Okay, now that's what TBF looks like, which is a challenge because most churches don't look like that. And so this famous saying that has guided the universal church, it's not directly from the New Testament, but I think it's thoroughly biblical, is that the capital C church of all colors of countries, cultures, united by faith in Christ, or in our case, our microcosm of that, uh, in the essentials, of faith and practice, we need to have unity. We can't be debating the deity of Christ or salvation by grace through faith. That's just a given. That's the bottom line. There's there's no wiggle room there. That's the absolute truth. In the non-essentials, we ought to have liberty, and in all things, we ought to have charity, which means agape love. So the AIM, the absolute irreducible minimums of Christian belief and Christian behavior are what I call the super seven and the terrific two in a New Testament context. Here's the super seven. Historically, for 2,000 years, these are the seven truths that the Holy Spirit has impressed on all 36,000 different Christian denominations that don't sacrifice animals because who God is generally is one God in three persons who is true, triune, transcendent, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, just, righteous, sovereign, loving, immutable, veracity, and eternal. That's what we believe about God generally. Who Christ is specifically, the second person of the Trinity who took on humanity without ceasing to be deity, one person and two natures, the God-man Savior. Who we are, we're all GIs, we're all guilty with a complete inability to save ourselves. We're in a mess, okay? What Christ has done, perfect righteous life, substitutionary atoning death on the cross, literal bodily supernatural resurrection, the resident Savior who gives eternal life to all who believe in him for it. What we must do, believe in him for it. Active, receptive trust in Jesus Christ, just like the terrorist on the cross did, just like the leper did. If you are willing, you can make me clean. That's active, receptive trust. What Christ will do, the pre-trib rapture, right? Now, the pre-trib rapture is going to happen, but that's not the essential. The essential that the Holy Spirit has taught consistently for 2,000 years that's unmistakable is a literal second advent that will end history of Jesus Christ, the lion coming back as the, or the, the lamb coming back as the lion. Um, oops, I got it backward. Um, one year, the, this is before Ron took over the t-shirt business. The day before we were going to Puebla, we had these t-shirts made up, and I picked them up and realized they'd switched the image on the cross and the arrow. They had the arrow first and the cross second. And I thought, this is really gonna fuse our, confuse our Mexican friends, you know, cause you gotta have the cross first, the, the uh, resurrection second, you got the lamb first, the lion second. Uh, literal bodily supernatural re- return of Christ. And then what the Bible is, it's inspired, it's indispensable. Now when you analyze those seven absolute irreducible minimum truth claims, it's amazing how you go to and away from the gospel, right? It's all about what Christ did, which is why our kind of unofficial logo is the cross in the era that represents the resurrection. So that's doctrine. That's the core doctrines we teach as we do exposition of Scripture. And you hear me stress those all the time because that's really the core truth claims of Christianity. When it comes to behavior or duty, it's all about believers loving God because he saved us and loving other people, including believers, as we abide in Christ. I like that graphic, which I came up all by my own self, because that's the big one. If you're really doing that, it frees you up to love others. Now, this is not fondness. It's not emotions. Uh, Agape love is not emotional. It's volitional. It's choosing to seek other people's highest good. So it's not always easy to feel good about your children when they make mistakes or they have dirty diapers or they break something uh, or they blame their sibling for something. Uh, I sent 
Jenny on Christmas Day, that picture of us in that living nativity, not thinking it was going to be in the newsletter, but I just sent it to a couple of people I thought would enjoy it. And uh, But if you look at that picture on the front page of the uh, newsletter, not, you don't have to write now, but I, didn't, I want you to blow it up to life size and put it in your living room. No, you don't have to do that. Um, two of the kids are missing. James, we've got, we've got seven grandkids. There's only five in the picture, plus me. That's because Mason, who's two years old, uh, he did he likes to throw stuff. He was just throwing stuff at the angels, and they didn't, they got mad. So we, he got, he got divorced <laughs> from the whole project there. And then Lincoln, who every other year has wanted to be, uh, Joseph, or he wanted to be one of the main guys. He just, the five-year-old, he just said, no, I'm not gonna do it this year. And because his son, Jonathan, learned, I'd love to drag some of TB efforts on the fringes, just drag them to church some way. Me and Dustin, me and Dustin could do that. Get him, boy. You know, Dustin would drive him to church. So let's let's do that starting next week. We're never going to do that because I don't want you here if you don't want to be here. If it's not important enough for you to come, don't come. I want you to have the right attitude, right? But of course, you'll die and go to hell if you don't come to prayer meeting. <laughs> Just letting you know. If I could say that and it was biblical, I'd say it because it would definitely generate a lot of uh, you know people jumping through hoops. But that's not the Jesus way. That's the world religion way, right? So the terrific two are loving God and loving others within a New Testament moral frame. So you're not lying, cheating, fornicating, that kind of stuff, okay? Now, to do that in the local church, especially one that's relational as this one, you got to use the baptism technique. Now, tough, you haven't heard this. Here's the baptism technique. When we baptize, we have people stand up and they hold their nose and I have something to hold on to and then we baptize them. So the baptism technique and getting along with other Christians is sometimes you got to hold your nose and lean way over backward to get along with some of these folks, including me, right? But it only makes you stronger. <laughs> and all of that is supposed to be not contributing to your salvation, but an expression of your salvation, right? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, we're not saved by good works, we're saved for good works. So in the essentials, unity, and the non-essentials, liberty, what does that mean? Well, within the clear frame of doctrinal truth, Second Advent, there are different versions, different understandings amongst Christians about how the rapture event fits into that. A lot of Christians think the rapture event and Second Advent are the same thing. As Christ is coming down, we're caught up and go right back down with him. That's a very respected position. It's the vast majority of Christians for 2,000 years have held that view. I you know, sincerely think they're missing something there. I think the rapture happened seven years before the Second Advent. I think they're different things. But the, the key thing is the second advent. When it comes to uh, moral choices and lifestyle choices, in the first century, the first big Christian lifestyle debate was, is it okay to eat meats offered to idols? Now, why would a Christian want to eat a meat offered to idols? To buy meats offered to idols today, you'd have to find some Satanists to have some special ceremony and pay them $100 to do the ceremony to you know, offer the meat to idols, right? Any big city, including Corinth, uh, not, not Jerusalem, that'd be an exception, but in Jewish territory, but Corinth, Ephesus, uh, Athens, Thessalonica, all these cities were filled with Roman pagan god temples, and that's where all the meat was processed, and behind the temples they have supermarkets where they'd sell the excess meat, all of which had been offered to great pagan idols, and Christians, some Christians were saying, you know what, that meat was offered to idols, I'm not going to eat it. And other people saying, you know what? Those idols aren't even real. They're figments of people's imagination, those false gods. That's perfectly a good beef. Okay? I want to buy that. And the Corinthians and the Romans were arguing, and some were saying, based on those choices, they were more spiritual than others. And Paul's saying, you know, let every man be fully convinced in his own mind. If your conscience convicts you about buying meat that you know was two days before offered to idols, don't buy it. Don't eat it. Okay? If you feel like, theologically correctly, there's no connection there. Those are false gods. That's just meat, okay? Hammers aren't evil. Well, that hammer was used to kill a little old lady. The guy who used it was evil. The hammer, there's no problem with the hammer, right, Dennis? So that was the battle that was fought in the first century, and you can read about it in Romans 14 and 15 and 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. And he says, hammer out your own convictions, with those areas that are within the bounds of Scripture. We're not talking about fornicating or not fornicating, rob a bank or not rob a bank. We're talking about meats or not eat meats. Today, movies are not going to movies, you know. Some Christians don't go to movies because they don't want to support the entire industry. Others are going to pick and choose decent ones because that's the only thing the industry understands 
is box office, and if you go support a decent movie, they'll probably make some more. So hammer out your own convictions um, under the Lord, and uh, I forgot what our own PCs mean, but I probably should have changed that slide. Anyway, hammer out your own convictions within the frame of clear teaching of morality uh, as unto the Lord. Respect the right of other Christians to do the same, even if they come to different conclusions. Homeschool, public school. You send them to the public school, you better watch them like a hawk. Real close. And we're getting to the point where it's almost going to be undoable anymore to do that. But I remember 30 years ago, uh, you know, a lot of the homeschoolers got a little sanctimonious, not you guys, got a little sanctimonious thinking that we were all sending our kids, you know, to Sheol if we sent them to public schools. Mine went to public school. Dale's went to public school. They came out pretty good by the grace of God. I know some homeschool kids that have been train wrecks. And I, it's, I don't think it's the parents' fault, right? Uh, you make your own choices on that in respect to other people's differences. And then live out your personal convictions, that's where it is, in agape love. So in the essentials, unity, and the non-essentials, uh, liberty, hammering out your convictions on specific things. In all things, charity, it rhymes, but it just means seeking other believers and other people's highest good consistent with God's glory. Here's two sides of the same coin. TBF is not about uh, Sonia Skinner or Danny Pollock uh, showing up here to do religious things so we can feel like, hey, we made them do religious things. It's about the work of God becoming active in believers, people coming to faith and then as believers. Uh, on the other hand, for me, everything we do is we're coming to. <laughs> in a perfect world, everybody come to everything. Because why not? I mean, right? I mean, uh, you got time for soccer practice. you got time for guitar lessons. Um you might say, well, church is always the Lord's most important thing in my life, and church is much more important than guitar lessons and uh, soccer practices. But when you never miss a soccer practice and church is optional, what are you at a pragmatic level teaching your kids? James will tell you this with your teenagers. They're going to look at where you spend your time and what you prioritize and what you spend your money on, and that's what they're going to say in their hearts is that's what mommy and daddy really valued. So realize... Um, you, you gotta, you gotta live it. Um, if there's no relationship and no respect, the kids are gonna rebel. Almost every time. But I'm still not gonna blame that on the parents, right? Now, we're coming to the happy ending. So, so relax, you know, this isn't gonna last forever. Um, let me ask you a question. What is that? Don't ask Homer and Pam. They know they've been to a bunch of them. What is that? That's so good. What's that? That's so good. That's so good. According to Curtis Hale, and I think he's right, the New Testament describes the local church as a battleship, not a cruise ship. On a cruise ship, you're on vacation. Uh, on a battleship, you're on a mission. Purpose, objectives, and goals. Phyllis, you're still smiling. I hope you're smiling when we finish this list. Uh, <laughs> on a cruise ship, you're unfocused. And boy, it's fun to be unfocused. You know, I'm focused, man, 53 weeks a year most of the time. A battleship, you're focused. On a cruise ship, you're on a holiday. Uh, battleships of lifestyle are in, in, for the duration of the war, as they used to do in World War II. Uh, cruise ship's all about pleasure. Battleship's about hard work. Cruise ship is, you only do, you're a volunteer, you can quit anytime you want to. If you don't want to go down and watch the magic show, just stay home and, you know, order. Isn't that fun, be able to sit in your room and say, I want, I want not one scoop, I want two scoops of strawberry and M&M's on them. Hurry up, you. You know, I just love ordering people around like that. Some people go into ministry thinking that's the way it works. Doesn't work that way. Not at all, man. Um, which one were we on? Voluntary? Battleship under authority? Yes, sir. How high do you want me to jump? Uh, cruise ship temporary. That's the bad thing. I mean, the last day is such a bummer because, you know, you got to get off the ship, get in a car, go back home. When you guys sent us to Alaska, and it was a one-way trip, but we figured out how to get back. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we had that incredible Alaskan tour, cruise, never been on a cruise before. I loved every minute of it. When we got back, literally like in the middle of the night, two in the morning, our freezer in our garage, this was in summertime, had died a few days before, and you opened the garage door up. This took all in the morning, and it stank like there was a dead body in that thing. I was so stupid, and I had a crying wife, I opened it up, and I, it almost knocked me down. The stench was so bad, and... I, Krista, within 35 seconds, every insect in Stevens County was in my garage now. 
And of course, you get all that in your nose and you walk in your house and that's all you can smell. And I thought, it's going to take a couple of years for us to get this smell out of our house. Now, in reality, it really didn't really get in the house very much because the door was, the lid was down until Dum Dum opened it up. But, um, and I remember the next day, Cade came and helped me take it to the dump. And, uh, boy, my neighbors were so happy that day. But, uh, but that was a bad way to end the cruise. But other than that, it was great, Mrs. Lincoln, you know. What's the most insensitive thing ever said in American history? Other than that, Mrs. G- Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? Uh, I'm sorry. I apologize for that one. <laughs> I'm on a roll, people. Um, no tasks on the cruise ship. Just do what you want to do. Definite roles. Passive observer of the crew. There's like a thousand of them screwing around to help you. You're an active member of the crew here. We're expecting you to actually score some points for the team. Uh, there to be served, there to serve, getting from everybody else, giving to the pogs. So I think that's a really helpful analogy, and I hope you'll buy into that. That's the way the elders see TBF, and they're not talking about it. They and their spouses are doing it, okay? And so we hope some of that will rub off on you guys, and for many, many, many cases it does. Now let me argue that Sunday should be special to, to people who have believed in the resurrected Jesus. I don't expect it to be anything more than the second day of, a, of their weekend for pagans who don't believe, but we're Christians. Now, Tuff told me Wednesday night that he's a he's a bull rider, so you got rodeos on Fridays and Saturdays. No matter where they are, they find a church to go on Sunday. They're committed to that. And you're teaching your kids how important church is. And we know your commitment to Christ and your local church are not exactly the same thing, but that little kids think concretely. Well, they talk about Jesus, but, you know, soccer practice is a lot more important to mommy than this because we only go once a month to that. So I'm not being legalistic. Don't come if you've got a crappy attitude. Just stay home, you know. But uh, think about your attitude, right? You know, my job is not just to comfort the afflicted. It's to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> uh, I believe Sunday was special, especially for the four years I worked at my parents' business for 364 days a year. I got Christmas off all day, whether I deserved it or not. And I couldn't go to church. So I was a teenager who wanted to go to church. And I see some teenagers don't want to come to church. And it blows my categories, but mom and dad, you can you can help that, okay? You got the car keys, you got the uh, you buy all their food. I mean, you just put them on a hunger strike. See how they do that? Uh, uh, Sunday's special, why? Because it's the weekly celebration of what? The literal bodily supernatural resurrection of your Savior. Pretty important. It's the first day of the week. Check the calendar, not the last. And so the symbolism is the first significant thing a believer does on the first day of the week is to gather believers of like mind and practice. And your neighbors will notice you do that. I get no credit for that with my neighbors because I get paid to do this. They just think I'm a paid professional Christian. Um, but I was a Christian before I got paid to be a Christian. And it should be a day of rest and reflection where you maybe unplug a little bit. Now, let's talk. I haven't talked about this in a long time, but Ron and I came up with this many years ago. In fact, he had a T-shirt. I call this Your Time, My Time, and TBF. Notice the uh, alliteration there. You're welcome. All the T's there, right? Here's the thing. You know, you know why 168 is a very important number for you in your life? Why is 168 important to you? That's all the time you get every week. You get 168 hours, okay? question is what you do with it. You don't have enough time. Everybody's got the same amount of time, right? Well, if you are limping and you think your Christian life is the time you spend in church, and for you, you come every Sunday at or... Around 9.30, although as Dale will tell you, most of them roll in about 9.38, right? But we'll give you credit. We'll, we'll round it down. You hit 9.30 all the way through teaching time, and that's all you can handle. Uh, that's 0.89% of your week. Uh, you tip a bad waiter 10 or 12%, don't you? Well, no, I just put a penny down. Yeah, you're the guy that does that, okay? I don't, I don't have enough guts to do that. Uh, now, if you ramp it up, you come Sunday at 9.30 and stay all the way through the second hour, and God bless you. I, that's, that's great. That's 1.48% of your week. Is that a huge percentage? I should have the pie chart. That's just a, that's a, that's a small sliver, right? Uh, now, here's the killer. You come all of the uh, Sunday morning deal, and you come Wednesday nights, you're now up to 2.08% of your week. Is that the Christian life? Two point. I surrender all. It wasn't, I surrender 2.08. I surrender 2.0. I'm a believer now. I'm going to surrender to Jesus. 2.08 of my time going right to Jesus. Listen to James or Brad talk. That's not Christianity. 
That's to edify you and encourage you to live it the rest of the time. The other, uh, what, 97.92. I think I did that right on the fly. That's pretty great. Now, let's add teaching time. Now, I've got a 45-minute commitment, but the 45 minutes doesn't start until after the introduction, the opening prayer, and the abstract thought warmer-upper. This week it was a top five list, okay? That's when the clock starts, all right? So... And even then, we've got some craziness there. So, But if, if you're here, and uh, the only time you're in or under the Word is when I'm talking about it from this pulpit, you're spending 0.59% of your week in and under the Word. If anything, when, when the Lord evaluates this ministry, He's going to say, why did you limit it to 0.59% of the week? Well, I wanted to teach them New Testament Greek for five years, and then we could go directly to the Greek text, but nobody wanted to do that. So they did the best I could, right? That's not too much. That's not even too much for your high school kid to subject them to. Don't settle for that. That is not what it is. And uh, you know what? I got 14.2%. I forgot what that meant in that context. So let's just make that go away. But here's my bottom line. I can do that. It's my, it's my PowerPoint. Uh, if you love the Lord, you gotta love the local church. And that means this one. Unless you got a better deal, and then go, go find it. You know, if you can find a better deal for you. And sometimes seasons of life happen and people do that. More often people move. I can't tell you how many people over the years, uh, I could list the names, but, you know, that will email me and say, we can't find anything like TBF. And it's funny because we have some people here who can't, look like they can't stand it, you know, and they, they just subject themselves to it. But you get a lot of people that have had this experience and they feel like, uh, you know, it's hard to reproduce. So don't take this thing for granted. And it was like that before I got here. It's not about me. But here's three final reasons you got to love TBF. Number one, the Bible's our middle name. Tangled Bible Fellowship. Uh, these aren't funny. They're just thought-provoking. Here's my favorite one. Our youth minister has a whole book of the Bible named after him. They named the book of James after him. Now, if you ever have 666 songs, then they'll take it away, you know. Uh, Martin Luther wanted to take James out of the, the uh, canon, by the way. And the final reason you got to let TBF is you got a guy who can't remember what his acronyms stand for, but uh, our pastor is the real McCoy. That's that. Now, in your uh, bulletin, there is a flyer about Slow Church, and I'm not going to have the time to go over that, but Slow Church was a book that said, look, we're using a McDonald's paradigm to try to draw crowds to evangelicalism, and what we're doing is we're shoving up Bible McNuggets, and we've got a lot of snowflakes that can't think their way out of a paper bag, and can't define marriage, and can't define the deed of Christ, and are happy to punt it all away just to go along with the crowd and be popular and cool. And if they need dancing elephants to show up for church, we'll get the dancing elephants. The main thing we're doing is entertaining, trying to get them to come back. Uh, so church said, you know, that's not really what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be a spiritual health food. Uh, we're supposed to challenge people uh, with edification, give them what they need, not what they want. But before we close in prayer, I want to read a short blog excerpt from a brilliant young Christian woman by the name of Amy Julia Becker. And uh, if you go to the Christianity Today website, you can find her blog. And she says a lot of good stuff. And here's a summation of a blog she wrote a couple of years ago called Why We Still Go to Church. I think you young mothers will relate to kind of her angst and uh, hopefully embrace her conclusions. But she says, in our small church, in our small Connecticut town, only about 60 people show up for church on a typical Sunday. It would be easy for us to join the multitudes of our neighbors. She says later that only 2% of those city goes to church at all. It would be easy for us to join the multitude of our neighbors and spend those Sunday mornings differently. We could stay in... I hope this doesn't give you any ideas. <laughs> I bet you've already thought about it. I will say this. On Monday morning, don't set an alarm. Daddy will wake up whenever he does. And when he wakes up, he'll roll over and say... Hey, anybody want to go go to school today? Is that the way you work on Mondays? Heck no. But there are Christian churches where when you don't wake Daddy up. He's the bear. Okay, don't wake him up. But if he wakes up before nine thirty, he goes, "Anybody want to go to church today?" 
Huh? Okay, I'll take that as a no. You know, you gotta, this has gotta be important enough to you, okay? Now you can meet at noon some places, but I'd really get it over with, wouldn't you? Actually, no. Actually, it was me, you know? I didn't think that would work, especially during NFL season, but anyway, maybe. And Joe Ligon is a, is a good guy, and he's been very kind to me. I'm just a little, little fish in the pond. He's always been very respectful to me, and I appreciate that. Joe, just in case you're listening, I had his son at Cameron, uh, I can't, he was, he's a good guy. We're recording. Uh, no, he's, he's fine. He's a good, he's out there. He's, he's a good guy. Anyway, it'd be easy to join multiples of our neighbors, uh, spend our Sundays differently. We could stay in our pajamas, read the paper. Who reads the paper anymore? Uh, while the kids watch cartoons. Uh, we could take a family hike. We could say yes to the late morning birthday parties and soccer games. We could go out for brunch. And we could avoid the ordinary but difficult task of keeping our kids still and attentive for their 60-minute stint in the sanctuary every Sunday. I know it can be hard work. I know it can be a sales job. Most Sunday mornings involve a low level of irritation. This is just an honest Christian mom. Penny 8 opens the hymnal and starts reading the words out loud during prayers. <laughs> William, age 6, lies down on the pew's red cushion uh, to color, feet behind him in the air, oblivious. Merrily, age 3, they don't have a nursery. They're all staying in there for the entire time. A lot of people got dragged to church as teenagers or as little kids on hard pews. You know, if you're under middle school, we give you, you know, Disneyland on the back. You know, so we don't expect the impossible. Um, yeah, so yeah, a three-year-old slots up my lap, starts pulling things out of my pocket bowl. Book, watch this, Sonia. Here's this young mom. Uh, I try to keep my whispering admonitions calm. I try to pay attention to the scripture reading, the prayer, the expressions of praise, and the teaching from the pulpit. But I gotta tell you, I'm often relieved when we head out of the sanctuary doors to a more restful afternoon as a family. She's being honest. You know, it's hard work to do the right thing sometimes. Uh, physical fitness, not easy. Spiritual fitness, not easy. There's just no easy way. And on those afternoons after church, I sometimes think it would be easy to abandon, I'm glad you used that harsh term because that's what you're doing, church, not only for the sake of our convenience, but even to abandon church for the sake of spirituality, in quotes. We take a walk in the woods. Merrily points out the color of a leaf and asks me if I remember when the angels were singing outside her window. I'm not sure about what happened on that one. William points to things growing on rocks and says, Mom, I think that's part of the decomposer group, kind of like a mushroom. He's a brilliant guy. Penny holds my hand and says, tell me a story. Now here's Mom, Sunday afternoon, away from the church building. The irritation has disappeared. We connect to one another to the world around us, and it feels easy, peaceful, and nice. And yet we return to our somewhat harrowing Sunday mornings, (laughs) week after week. I hope you don't think about it like that. I love church, man. Uh, We go to church because we believe in Jesus. That's a a good reason right there. And one way we express that belief is through, through worship and being under the Word. But we could worship instead of the Bible on our own without asking our children to behave themselves. You know, at some point, you got to convince them you're in charge before they get car keys or get bigger than you are, or you're in a lot of trouble, you know. Uh, it's got to be God at the top, and the parents actually driving the train here. Uh, we also go to church because we believe that God is known through the diversity, diversity of the people around us, old and young, able-bodied and walking with a cane, rich and poor. We know God better through the diversity of divine expression, that diversity of divine expression. And because God is a God of love, of giving and receiving, we know God more fully when we do not just receive, get our needs met, but when we also are asked to give of ourselves. Church asks more of us than our hike in the woods. In time, I believe it gives us much more. That's good thinking, right? I know that many people have experienced disappointments in church. I've experienced lots of disappointments in church, you know, so you're not the only one. Um, But, because we're one of the only young families, she's thinking strategically here in her church of 60 people. We're one of the only young families in our church. Every time we go, we depend upon the grace of other people around us. They don't just tolerate our kids. They routinely give thanks publicly for these children of ours who could easily be seen as just disruptive agents of chaos 
in an otherwise orderly church service. These men and women model God's grace to us. I can only help my children remember the warm welcome we receive when meeting in church when, when they are older. I cannot predict what my children will believe as they grow up. But one thing I can predict is that my children will, will encounter hardship. Their hearts will be broken. Someone they love will die. They will suffer taunts and disappointments and illness. They will experience failure and rejection. My hope and prayer is that at those times, one of the things they will remember is they have a place where they're always welcome, a place where the net of God's faithfulness will catch them as they fall. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your idea of the local church as an expression of the universal church that's made up of all believers of colors, countries, and cultures, generations, denominations. I want to thank you for this church. We're not the only good church in town. There are a lot of good churches, bigger, smaller, more uh, special effects, less special effects, different structure, maybe a, a more interesting speaker, these kind of things. But this church has a unique place to play, a unique role to play, I think, in your body, in our area. And you've given us some amazing people, and you've provided for us without offering plates or gimmicks, and you've directed us in the ups and downs and the good times and the bad. And I pray that you might continue to do that, not so that uh, James Mitchell or Brad McCoy would get any glory or that the elder board would get any glory, but that uh, our Lord Jesus would get the glory and that you continue to use us uh, to pursue and to fulfill your purposes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.